0: Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, as we open up your word, remembering that we are fallible and fallen and sinful people, Lord, that don't even know we're walking in darkness while we're walking in darkness, Lord, we ask that you would be our light, that you would show us what we need from you today, from this scripture, as Jesus teaches on how to pray Lord, we ask that you would be with our local government, that you would give them wisdom. Lord, for those that don't know you, that they would come to know you. Lord, we ask the same for our state and for our federal government. Lord, for the missionaries, for the ministries, both locally and around the world that are seeking to do your will, seeking to accomplish what you have for them, we pray that you would give them the words to say, the things to do, the wisdom to know, how to discern, good from the best, Lord, we pray that they would be effective in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, that all men, women, and children might have an opportunity to hear. Lord, I also pray for those who are sick, who are newly diagnosed or recently diagnosed with illnesses, Lord, we know that, that the death of your faithful ones is valuable in your sight. We thank you for faithful men and women who come to the end of their lives and can look back and have been faithful for so many years. We thank you, Lord, for their testimony of faithfulness that you have shown to them and that they have shown to the church. Lord, we ask that they would continue to be a model for us to look at as we all at one point come to the end of our lives. Lord, as we look at prayer today, we pray that we'd be people who are devoted to prayer, that are seeking your will in our lives. Lord, we pray that we would see your goodness and the things that you provide for us and the things that you give to us. Lord, we ask that your will would be done. Lord, we pray in the areas that we are deficient in our sin, the things that we do that offend you, that you would give us conviction through the Holy Spirit, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would not be an abstract concept, but we'd recognize that the Holy Spirit is truly God, the third person of the Trinity, has will, volition, or not just something mystical that can't be understood, Lord, we ask that we open our word, that it would not be words on a page, but they would be your very words spoken to me. Or that we would hear your word, that we would receive your word as our daily bread. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Billy Graham was once sent a letter from a a very rich man and the the man said, I want you to come to my house next time you're in Florida. And Billy Graham, next time he was there, went to this man's house and saw all of the opulence and the the riches that the world could buy. The man said to Billy Graham and his ministry partner who was there with him, he said, Billy, I want you to know that anything you need and anything you want for the ministry I will fund anything. You literally consider it a blank check. There is nothing that you will need in ministry that I will not provide for you. Billy Graham thanked the man and told him, while I appreciate your offer, I can't accept. He said, we receive about 15 to 20,000 letters a month to the ministry and Some of them will have a few dollars here and there, but almost every single one says, we are praying for you. And Billy Graham told him, if everybody knows that a wealthy man like you has funded all of the ministry, they'll stop praying. And the prayer is more important than the money. A couple years later, Billy Graham was in Nigeria and he had just preached... a leper colony, and after one of the women who was a, a leper came up and she said, me and a few of the other lepers here in this colony had the privilege of listening to you on the radio a few years ago. We heard you preach, we believed, we repented, and we were saved by Jesus when you preached. She said, it's been a few years now, so we're glad you're here and, here and with her nubbed hands, she grabbed an envelope and handed the envelope to Billy Graham and asked him to open it. So he opened it and it was $5.60. She said, we've been saving and we've collected this money. I know it's nothing. It can't pay for any part of the ministry but we wanted you to know that we support the ministry. But more than the money that we can give you, we pray for you every single day. And Billy Graham turned to the men that were with him and said, the secret to all ministry is women like that, willing to pray for the ministry. You see, when people are devoted to prayer, when people are devoted to prayer, it produces in us a humility. We recognize that prayer is saying, I am dependent on God. If we do not pray, we do not depend on God. The opposite of being dependent on God is being independent from God, being self-dependent or independent. Prayer is the essential element of our relationship with God. It shows our dependence on Him. Let's read in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5. Jesus says, "...whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward." But when you pray, go into your private room and shut the door. Pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as, as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you give, forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your heavenly Father will not forgive your offenses. You see, Jesus starts here with this idea of hypocritical prayer. And in the passage before, we saw hypocritical giving. The hypocrites that Jesus is talking about here loved to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners. They had a custom that they would pray three times at 9 a.m., at noon, and then at 3 p.m. So these hypocrites would just so happen to time their visits to the synagogues and to the marketplaces and to the street corners with 9 a.m. and noon and 3 p.m. And so they would, you know, meander out of their house at 8.55 and then get to the market be like, oh, it's nine o'clock, I better show how I pray. And they would make a big display out of it and making sure everybody could hear them and could see them. And Jesus says it's to be seen by people. That is their reward. Beyond that, these religious hypocrites had also mixed some idolatrous practices that the pagans around them engaged in. Jesus says they babble, or he calls it vain repetition, and it's a practice of believing that there's like a magical formula, that if I can say the right words or the right order or the right mixture of words, that God will hear me. And if I don't quite get it right, I just keep going, or maybe I need to say it a certain number of times, like the sequence is right, but the quantity is not right. So they would just keep going, hoping that God would hear them. In 1 Kings chapter 18 is a a great story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. If you've never read it, Elijah is, it's a a great story. 1 Kings 18, read it at some point. But Elijah takes these prophets and they, they kind of set up this competition. Whose God is real? Is Elijah's God, our God, real? Or is the prophet's God, Baal, real? And so they set up an altar and they make this altar. And Elijah tells them, all right, well, right, let's see if your God will prove that he is real by bringing down fire or consuming this offering that you have for them. So the prophets start in the morning, these false prophets, and they start praying and jumping and dancing and running around asking God, their God, their false God, to do something. Noon comes and nothing's happened. The afternoon comes and nothing's happened. Into the evening, they keep going and they're getting more and more desperate, saying the same things over and over. They begin cutting themselves some versions say that blood is gushing out. They're so desperate and they're shouting, Baal, answer us! Over and over and over, as Jesus describes with vain repetition. This is what Jesus had in mind this magic word type formula that if I can get it right or if I can repeat it 17 times, no, it wasn't, maybe it's 18? Maybe it's 19, and they would just on and on, seeking to be heard by God. Jesus' warning here is, don't be like them. Don't be like them because God hears. God hears and God answers. And see, the problem with the hypocritical prayer is not so much the quantity. It's not so much even the the quality of the words. It's the heart in which it's offered, you, know, you go back to Matthew 5 and all the way through the end of 7, the whole Sermon on the Mount is about the heart. And so Jesus here is saying, it's not about their words. It's not about their formulas. It's not about the quantity. It's about the heart that offers these prayers. Because Jesus prayed short prayers. When he was baptized, he prayed a short prayer. On the cross, he prayed a short prayer. Jesus prayed long prayers. Long prayers. He would go out late at night, early in the morning, and he would pray for hours. The disciples fell asleep a bunch of times because he was praying for so long. Short, long, didn't matter. Jesus, even in Matthew 26:44, says he said the same thing three times. He went out to pray again and said the same thing. So it's not about the repetition. It's not about the words. It's about the heart that offers them. As we pray, we pray for similar things. We pray for the salvation of our children. There's only so many ways that you can say that. You pray that God would save them, bring them from darkness to light, that he would redeem them from their lostness and from their sin. I mean, you could probably think of 10 or 20 different ways to say that, but ultimately you're asking God the same thing, and he doesn't mind. He doesn't mind the repetition of a sincere heart. The warning is, don't be like the hypocrites who through their repetition and through their babbling on and on, think they will be heard. Jesus' expectation again, just like in the last passage, verse five, six, and seven says, whenever you pray, and then six, but when you pray in verse seven, when you pray, again, the expectation is that followers of Jesus are praying people. There's not an option for if you pray Or sometimes Christians might pray, so if that's something you choose to do, here's how you do it. But the expectation is that we are praying people. Our second point, reasons why prayer is worthy of our time. And I'm gonna offer you this as the same thing, the the book of Acts is called the Acts of the Apostles. I would say more accurately, it's, some acts of some of the apostles, because it's not all of the apostles recording every act. And so these are not all of the reasons why prayer is worthy of our time, but some of the reasons why prayer is worthy of our time. And the first one I want to look at is that prayer is answered by God. It's worth praying because God answers prayer. A couple months ago, we talked about King Hezekiah in Isaiah chapter 37 And again, if you didn't read that, go read Isaiah 36 through like 39, and you kind of get this whole story that we're going to look at. But in Isaiah chapter 37, Hezekiah is confronted with an army that is capable of destroying him, has the manpower, and has promised to do just that. So he sends Hezekiah a letter and says, we're going to destroy you. We're going to kill all your people. We're going to take you into slavery. We're going to take all your stuff. It's just a foregone conclusion. You know, we'll be there next week to do it. And so Hezekiah knows that it's true. And so he takes the letter that this wicked king wrote and he lays it before the Lord. And he says to the Lord, help us. We can't do this. So we need your help. And the Lord answers Hezekiah's prayer and destroys the army. But the Lord says, because you prayed says to Hezekiah, because you prayed, because you turned to God in prayer, because you trusted God and not yourself, the Lord delivered Hezekiah and the Israelites. Now, when we face difficult situations, when we face enemies that are beyond our control, things that are outside of what we're able to cope with, we see the same thing that we do with Hezekiah. We turn to the Lord in prayer, knowing that because you prayed, the Lord acts. The Lord hears our prayer. The Lord answers our prayer. Generally, we prefer the Lord to answer our prayers in our timing and in our ways. So when we pray, we expect the answer to be yes and the time to be now, God doesn't always work on our timing and in our ways, but God always hears our prayer. The prayer that is offered with a humble heart, that is offered sincerely, is heard by God. We can have faith and confidence. We can trust that the Lord will answer. He's the same God for Hezekiah as he was for the apostles, as he was For your parents, as he was, for my parents, as he is for us today, as he will be for our children. Prayer is answered by God. And prayer also produces a humility before God. Prayer is the means by which we express our emotions, our needs, and our desires before God. We tell God, this is what I'm dealing with. These are my struggles. This is my problem. I don't know how to do these things. I don't know how to handle these things. And like Hezekiah, we put them before the Lord. We lay our problems out before the Lord. And in so doing, we, we express and acknowledge our dependence on God. You see, the person that is praying is recognizing that they can't do it on their own. And so they're petitioning the Lord to help, even in... Matthew chapter 6, verse 11, give us this day our daily bread, literally the food that I will need to survive. You see, prayer that is not dependent on God does not produce humility. Because when we pray, we acknowledge that I need you to provide for my daily bread. I need and want your will to be done. If we do not pray humbly, we're not dependent on God. If we're not praying humbly and we're not dependent on God, we're not really praying. Because if we're trying to pray with a prideful heart saying, God, these are the things I need, but I don't really need them, we're not really praying. And if we're not dependent on God and saying, I need you to do these things because I can't do them, we're really just talking. Because the humble heart submits to the Lord and says, I can't do these things. I depend on you for these things. David, King David in the Bible was a man who was dependent on God. From the beginning, he had giant problems. And God showed, thank you, I like to, God showed that David was dependent on him by giving him a rock. You've got big problems and I'm going to give you a rock to deal with them. In that, David had to be dependent on God. When David started to walk away and say, I'm not going to be dependent on you anymore, I'm not going to be dependent on you providing for me, he started to go out and try to depend on himself, to become independent. And instead of accepting what the Lord had given him, he went out and found Bathsheba. You also have Moses who is dependent on God. God told him, lead these people, go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And just to prove to Moses that God was the one who is gonna do it, God said, I'm gonna give you a stick and you can go to one of the most powerful men on earth and demand that he let all his slaves go and you got a stick to do it with. And so Moses with his stick, had to be dependent on God to do it. Moses depended on God, and God did it. And then Moses started to become dependent on himself, and God said, I'm going to give you water because you're all thirsty. It's going to come out of that rock. Go and speak to the rock, and the water will come out. And Moses got angry and hit the rock, doing it his way instead of God's way. Solomon was told by God, I'll give you anything you want and it's like you know when you're a kid you're saying what three wishes would you ask if you had a genie you know and the kids are like all right well how do I get how do I maximize my earnings you know I don't want to be the richest person on earth I want to be the richest person times the richest person you know I want billions what's more than billions I want all of the money you know it's like you're trying to maximize what this opportunity is and solomon instead of looking and saying i want everything he says i want to be wise i want to depend on god for wisdom and let him deal with all of the practical things that i might need and solomon depended on god and then later in solomon's life he was no longer content with what god had given him and in his independence He started taking more and more wives, seeking to go outside of what God had told him to do. You see, it's easy for us, like David and like Moses and Solomon, to be dependent on God. And then when things start to go our way, we start to do it our way. Being dependent on God when things are difficult and when there's no other option is easier than it is when everything is easy. Dependence on God says, I can't, but God can. Independence, a self-reliance, says, I can, and it doesn't matter if God can. I've got this, so it doesn't need to be worried about with God. Jesus says in John 15, five, that apart from him, we can do nothing. I don't think Jesus meant that metaphorically. I think he literally meant apart from me, you can do nothing. And Job, we see that the breath of all mankind is in his hand. He feeds the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, cares for everything. I was trying to charge my phone the other day and I plugged in my phone, it was almost dead. And so I walked away and I came back like an hour later and grabbed my phone and it was actually dead. And so I was like looking at it and trying to figure out like why it was dead. So of course I like plug it in and unplug it a couple times, like that's gonna help. And like, I eventually was like looking at it and I realized the cord wasn't plugged in (laughs) to the wall. I think that's what Jesus is saying though. You know, when you're connected to the source, there's the power if you unplug and you're just doing it on your own apart from me there's there's nothing you know you're just a cord hanging out there jesus said or isaiah says in those days verse chapter 38 verse 1 and 2 in those days hezekiah became terminally ill so hezekiah had trusted god god had delivered him and some number of days later now hezekiah is about to die the prophet Isaiah, son of Ahmaaz, came to Hezekiah and said, Hey, this is what the Lord says. Set your house in order, for you're about to die. You will not recover. What a blessing and a curse to know that you're dying and you're not going to recover, but also you're dying and you're not going to recover. And Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Now, what else is he going to do? He's been dependent on God and he saw God deliver. So here he comes back and he's like, God, deliver me. Save me again. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus is writing these letters to the churches and he comes to the church at Laodicea. And this one church They've become wealthy and they say they have no need of anything. We got it. You know, we we got money, we got things, we're, we're good. We don't have need of anything. In their pride, there was a time they were dependent on God. And as things got easier, they started to walk away from the Lord. Jesus is condemning them for walking away. You become wealthy, and you have no need of anything. Jesus calls them, and what most people are familiar with, is he calls them lukewarm. Like the aqueduct that brought water from the mountains and from the springs that was nice and cool and crisp, and miles later it gets to Laodicea, and it's just warm water. You're not hot water that's good for cooking and cleaning and it's been boiled and it's clean enough to drink or clean with or cook with it's purposeful you're not cool and refreshing anymore they're not hot you're not cold you're just you're just there i think we're just there sometimes You know, the church in America, we've become wealthy. We have no need of anything. We're not on fire for the Lord. We're not excited. We don't have this revolution to fight for, but we're not refreshing, and we're not set apart from the world. We've conformed in so many ways, and here we are in the middle, and we're we're just there. Jesus says, man, that's disgusting. Hot's good, cold's good, but... Nobody wants to drink tepid water. Nobody wants lukewarm water. It's not good for drinking or cooking or anything. It's just there. Jesus tells them, repent. You think you've got everything? Man, you need to come to me. Bring it to me and buy gold from me. Buy whitewashed clothes. You want something. You're going to need something, and you're not going to get it with all the wealth, and independence that you have. Carl Spurgeon once prayed, he uh, had a big church in London, and he, he was telling his people, he said, we've got a big church in a big city, but we're not doing big things. It doesn't make sense that a big church with all these people in a big city like London, we're not doing what we should be doing. So they said, Well, let's do whatever it is you think we should do. And he said, I don't know what we should do. They said, well, what do you want to do? He said, I don't know, we should pray about it. So they committed to prayer and saying, Lord, what do you want us to do? You've given us this big church in this big city, help us understand what we ought to do. So three days later, Charles Spurgeon gets a letter in the mail and it's a lady that had written him and said, I wanna give you 20,000 pounds. And in the 1800s, that was like almost $5 million today. And he goes to her house, he takes one of his associates with him and they go to her house and it's a very normal house in a very normal neighborhood. And he goes to her and says, I received your letter and I saw that you want to give, you know, the equivalent of $5,000. And she says, no, I said $5 million, you know, again, equivalent. And he said, "Oh, well, I just wanted to make sure that we didn't accidentally put a couple zeros on there. And, you know, I was mistaken. And she said, no, it's 5 million and I want you to build an orphanage. And he says, okay, we prayed for God to do big things with our big church in this big city, and there's two and a half acres right around the corner from the church, so they bought the land, they built houses that kids could bunk in, they hired people, and they built an orphanage because they prayed. They saw that God was willing to do things. God was willing to answer their prayer. They humbled themselves and said, I don't know what God wants me to do, so let's just ask him. And three days later, he answered. The church at Laodicea was rich with material possessions. They were not rich in God's eyes. That wealth led them to a false sense of security, a false sense of pride that they had no needs, a lukewarm faith. Pride in us produces lukewarm faith. It produces not hot, not cold, just blah. Reasons why prayer is worthy of our time, prayer is answered by God. Prayer produces humility before God, and prayer replaces worry with peace. I have a chart for you What you can see here is the frequency of the word worry used in society, going back to the early 1600s, all the way to present day. This is how often the word worry is used. We've got a lot of worries, and what worries me? is we are not coping well. We are not offering any kind of solution to worry. It's accelerating. Worries in our culture are accelerating faster than anybody can come up with solutions. Most of the solutions are the DIY approach. Well, let me tell you how to deal with your worry. And that person also can't deal with their own worry, but everybody back and forth just says, well, do this and do that and try this and try that. Maybe you need a different psychologist. Maybe you need a, a different self-help program. Find something that makes you happy or I don't know. And so the, the world just keeps offering opportunities and ways to deal with worry. Paul says in Philippians, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You see, we we present our requests to God, we present our worries, our problems, our anxieties, our concerns, and we present them to God Paul says, and don't worry about it. Just give them to God, present your request to God. And after that, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. This is the I can't, but God can. It's the dependence on God, the humble heart, recognizing that I can't do it, and it's only getting worse. Worry's not gonna just go away. We're going to still have worries, so we turn to God. You know, our friends look at us and they tell us, you got this, you can do it, but you can't. So we strive and we fail, and they tell us, well, do it a different way, you can do it. And we strive and we fail, because we can't do it. And so the worry builds upon the worry. You know, Hezekiah, now being told he was going to die, certainly that's a worrisome thing. But Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. You're going to die. Get your house in order. You're not going to survive this. Get ready. His first thought is not to get his house in order. His first thought is not to call the doctor. His first thought is to turn to the Lord and to pray. It's a choice telling God, I'm anxious. I'm worried. I know I'm not supposed to be anxious. I'm not supposed to be worried. But I am. So, here you go. I can't deal with this, because I don't know what to do. So, take these worries and these concerns and, and I give them to you. I don't know if you've been to Les Schwab, the new Les Schwab tire place. I love Les Schwab because they have a Dropbox. So, I can go and park my car and lock the car and put the keys in the Dropbox. And then the next day, they just call me and tell me it's fixed. It's wonderful. I don't have to be there. I don't have to do anything. I just go and give them the car, and they call me and tell me it's fixed. We can take our worries and take them to God and drop them in a drop box and just walk away. We can just give them to God, and the evidence that God is going to do it is the peace that surpasses all understanding, because when you've actually given them to God, when the keys to your worry are successfully deposited in the box, you then have peace. If you've tried to give it to God and it's still a worry, you've got to let go of the keys and trust that God is going to deal with it. Because what Paul is offering here is a promise. Paul's offering, don't worry about anything. See, Hezekiah prayed, And let it go. He said, please, Lord, remember how I've walked before you faithfully and wholeheartedly and have done what pleases you. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Man, he tells the Lord, I've done what you've asked me to do. Sincerely, wholeheartedly, as much as I could. See, when we turn our worries into prayer, when we give them to God, we let God work in the ways that he can in his timing, and often in unexpected ways. You know, we, we're like a, a horse on the track with blinders on and we, we can see just this like little spot in front of us and you know, God's up in the grandstands being like, I can see all of it. You know, you do your thing and let, let me deal with all of it. Just pray, don't worry about it, let it go. There were two sisters who were forced to get up earlier than they normally did, and the two of them were walking. It was real early in the morning and they walked under the starlight. As they walked together, they prayed, and one of them turned to the other one and started to pray out loud. She said this, Isn't this a bit of heaven? And Lord, what a small foretaste of the future. One day we will see you face to face, but thank you that even now you are giving us the joy of walking and talking with you. That wouldn't normally seem unordinary, but the two girls were Corey and Betsy Tinboom, and they were walking in a Nazi concentration camp and saying, but thank you that even now you are giving us the joy of walking and talking with you. That's the worry being given to God and the peace of God surpassing all understanding. We can't comprehend being forced to get up by Nazi captors early in the morning and marched and just being like, thank you God for giving us the joy of walking and talking with you. That's unexpected peace that surpasses even our own understanding. Reasons why prayer is worthwhile. Prayer guards your future. Hezekiah was about to die. God had told him, You're about to die. He prayed to the Lord and asked the Lord to remember how he had served him. Isaiah 38:5: This is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor David, says. I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Look, I'm gonna add 15 years to your life. Because you prayed, I'm gonna deliver you from your enemies. Now it's time to die. Please, like, save me? All right, because you prayed, I'm gonna give you 15 more years. You know, Zachariah and Elizabeth, because you prayed, I'm gonna give you a son. Like, throughout the Bible, we see because you prayed type stories of God doing because we prayed. In the late 90s, there was a a small group of teenage girls in our high school. I brought tissues. Because I can't get through most things anymore without tissues. (laughs) A small group of, of girls had a friend. And this friend was an unbeliever. She was worldly, as most teenagers are. And they had been praying for her by name every week that she would be saved. So week after week, they would come on Wednesday night and they would take prayer requests and they would stop and they would pray for this teenage girl by name. One of those girls, Stephanie, she called her friend. told her that Jesus loves her. Told her that although everything in your life is falling apart, God has a plan for you. They got off the phone and later that night, the girl laid in her bed and she said to the Lord, if you can take all of these broken pieces and do something with them, you can have them. She asked the Lord to take all of her brokenness and do something with it. And God is faithful. Took all of her broken pieces, and if you've seen that Japanese pottery where they put gold in the middle of it, it's that picture, you know, where you've got these broken pieces of life that God takes and he puts back together and it's more valuable than it was before. And God took all of those broken pieces and put it back together in a better way than it was. My mom was someone who prayed for me consistently. I remember when I was little she would always pray for my purity, for my future wife, and for my future wife's family. I remember sitting on my bed and she would pray those things at night. I remember sitting on a rocking chair and I'd sit on her lap and she would pray those things very consistent those things my purity for my future wife and for my future wife's family about 1999 or so my mom was leading a small group and her small group had you know a bunch of girls in it and They would do the normal small group things. They would read and study the Bible and talk about it and pray for one another. And there was a, a girl who had come to church a couple times. She was friends with Mary's daughter. And when she would stay at Mary's house on Saturday, they would get up and come to church. And so Mary would bring them to church. And she had come to church a couple times. One day she came and she sat in my mom's small group. This girl had come to his church a couple times, but this is the first time she had come as a Christian. She came broken. She sat there, them having prayed for her for years, my mom unknowingly praying for her for. 18 years, the small group's prayers and my mom's prayers converging at this same time and me not yet even knowing her. Because you prayed is not just a story of King Hezekiah. I'm convinced that because they prayed, my wife came to know the Lord. Because my mom prayed, my wife came to know the Lord. A couple years ago, we had a daughter, Ruth, that went to be with the Lord. After many years of sitting on my mom's lap and her praying for me, We sat there two days later, and she sat on my lap praying for me. Go ahead and play that video. He's so good to me. He He answers prayers. He answers prayers. He answers prayers. He's so good to me. And we thank you, God, for your goodness and your kindness and your mercy, oh, for grace to trust you more, Lord. What we want to trust. God, we're hurting. Mary Jo is hurting in a way I've, I can't even understand. Father Brandon is hurting in a way. God, would you just mend them closer together under your umbrella of your love. And you, Father, we can rest. We can feel complete. We can feel whole always been. Everybody that walks through this gate, Father, send your Holy Spirit, Father, blow him over with it, Lord, because of what you have done on the cross for us and what you have allowed for us. And God, with a sweet little baby crying, let the rest of our day be enjoyable and fun as we give praise to you. don't have the words, to ask you to be dependent on the Lord, to turn to Him in all things, to ask Him to do what you can't be, do, to ask Him to take the worries. Husbands, you have an opportunity to pray with your wives, to pray for your wives, Your wife will never feel more safe and more secure than when you take her and sit her down and say, can we pray together? Can I pray for you? You have a responsibility to God and to her to pray for her and to pray with her. And wives, in the same way, to take your husband and say, let's pray together. Whether he wants to pray or he's a a Christian man, offer to pray with him and say, Can we pray together to pray for your children, husbands and wives, to ask the Lord to keep your children's purity, to pray for their future spouse, to pray for their salvation, to pray for their spouse's salvation, Young men, pray for your future spouse. The Lord has somebody that he knows that you don't yet know. He has somebody that's out there. One day, God will call you to lead her. God will call you to be for her what Jesus is for the church. Until that day comes, don't give yourself to other girls as they come along. Don't let your heart or your hands go places that it shouldn't. I've got a lot of daughters that need young men like that. And young women, you are precious to the Lord. Pray for your future husband. Because there's a man that will love you like Jesus loves the church who sacrificed for her. And don't settle for anything less. Don't Allow yourself to fall in love with someone that you would never want to marry. Keep your heart for the one that God has for you. As I think about prayer, I think one of the things that that I've learned is that the Bible itself is the best source of prayer. I don't mean just reading the prayers, but I mean when you have times in your life, specific things. You know, the Bible has, most Bibles have where to look when I'm sad or when I need something. Like, you take those things and... You ask the Lord to give you those things, like when I'm scared, to teach me. I remember I was probably six or seven years old, and I always had to take out the trash. And it was always dark, and it was always late, and there was always something out there waiting to get me. And so I would go out the front door, and I would turn, and I would like hesitantly like, be looking as if something was going to like jump out of the darkness, and I would put the trash in the trash can, and I would like run back to the front door. But I remember praying, even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Like, to me, that was the shadow of the valley of death right there, like, on our front porch. (laughs) But I, I memorized that, and my problems are different now, but I can't tell you how many times I've thought that, that even when I'm under the shadow of death, that you are with me. 2 Corinthians 4, we don't put our hope in what is unseen. Because what is unseen, or sorry, we don't put our hope in what is seen, what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We don't hope for what we have, we hope in what's to come and what the Lord has promised us. I told you, Job 12, 10, the Lord has the life of all living things in his hand, the breath of all creation. When I'm memorizing now, Isaiah 40, 28. Do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. He gives strength to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Youths may become faint and weary and young men stumble and fall, but those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles and they will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. So many Holy Spirit-inspired words that we can just take and say to the Lord, and this is how I feel. We give those things back to God. In all things, your will be done. Because the opposite is your will be done. And we don't want our will to be done. We want the Lord's will to be done. When we pray, we ask the Lord, take all of this, I'm dependent on you keep me dependent on you. Our church will only be as effective as it is prayerful. Our homes will only be as peaceful as they are prayerful. If we stay dependent on God, prayer remains a priority, and we stay humble people before God. 1 Timothy one seventeen. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen, let's pray. Lord, we know that you act when we pray. Lord, I don't understand how that works. I know that it's a mystery, that you have knowledge of the past, the present and the future that my act of prayer does not force you to do something that you have not already set out to do, and yet you tell us to pray, and we see that because we pray that things happen. And Lord, that's a divine mystery that I'm okay not understanding. Lord, may we be people committed to prayer, not because we have all the answers or we understand everything perfectly, but because you call us to pray. And we pray because we see it throughout scripture. May we pray because we as Christians follow the one who also prayed. Lord, we desire your will to be done. Lord, we pray that as we walk in your ways, that we would be like Christ, who prayed passionately and zealously for your will, that you would take the cup from him, that you would save him from death, and yet not his will but yours be done. Lord, may that be our prayer that whatever our desire is, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.